Welcome to the Iron Cannon Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen, and I'm joined by my friends and co-hosts, Tom and William. Guys, this is uh, this is the last time we're going to get to talk about Andor Season 1, I think, right? Like, this is the season recap episode. I believe for a while. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, like, I, yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't know where I'm going with it, but yeah. I mean, yeah. Tom, do you want to give us the, the quick rundown on the season? Well... Technically, we are reviewing the season of Andor, uh, naturally season one, and the synopsis for the season goes as, in an era filled with danger, deception, and intrigue, Cassian will embark on the path that is destined to turn him into a rebel hero. Yeah, so let's, I, I'm, I'm excited to take a look back on the seas, on the series now, the se- season one, uh, now that we kind of have it in the rearview mirror. It was a there's some phenomenal episodes I think as we've discussed uh, on this show, but let's, let's, let's take a step back and, and look at the journey. I mean, the, the series kicked off in late September with a three episode premiere. Uh, and over the following, over the 12 episodes in the season, we really got to see Cassian Andor's journey toward becoming a rebel. I guess, what did you guys think of the season overall? How, how would anything stand out to you or, or, or really key moments or, or, or things you particularly enjoyed? Let's start with you, Steven. I mean, honestly, I think, I, I mean, this is kind of a broad thing, but I, I felt in some ways like we were watching Clone Wars with these kind of big, like three, four episode arcs that kind of tell a little mini story inside of the season, um, refined in some ways. I mean, animated show versus, you know, big TV or however you want to describe it. But I just, I love that separation. You know, we had Arc on Ferrix, then we had the Arc on Aldani. Um, it gets a little bit muddier, I think, kind of like the prison arc is in there as well. Um, and then the finale, but it just, I loved the quality of each of these arcs, the, you know, dedication to storytelling and writing, like it, it generally might be, I think, the best Star Wars show we've ever gotten yeah. in terms of, uh, you know, pure writing and quality, at least. Not necessarily in terms of fan service or you mm. know, things I enjoyed seeing, but just and phenomenal. I think, and I think you hit on a good point there. I think it is one of the best series we've gotten so far because it was set in the Star Wars universe. But the typical things you would normally see, like we've all grown up with, we've grown up with Jedis, we've grown up with clones, we've grown up, you know, with X-Wings, A-Wings, all this other stuff. This episode didn't deal with any of that. The only kind of overlap you got was Saw Guerrera. But that was because this all leads into a specific point of the Star Wars universe, and that goes into Rogue One. Other than that, they basically created out of the character of Cassian Andor, which we knew also from Rogue One, this whole universe around him and all these new characters and this whole backstory. And then, yes, Mon Mothma's part of it, too. But you got to see the backstory of her and Cassian and all that kind of stuff was able to be done without bringing in, like I mentioned, the Jedi talking in the Sith. You know, you did see your stormtroopers, which had to be there because the ISB was involved. But the typical stuff you normally see in Star Wars that brought in the universe wasn't there, but it was still within the universe. And the writing and the set direction and the placement of this whole thing worked very well for a star wars show yeah you know i think we should dive into the the how different it was in in many ways uh i think it's worth discussing more the you know star wars when i think of star wars oh you know i'm we are all huge star wars fans right when you think of star wars you know of course you think of you know jedi and sith and lightsaber battles and big space battles and all this kind of stuff and um there's i we i think we all love that there that is that is what's you know these these giant epic sagas right that is star wars at its core and that's what like the the big movie should be and even the big series right but 
I do think there is a place for other stories within the Star Wars universe and for Star Wars as a franchise to continue on, right? You can't just keep creating new trilogies that are, you know, oh my gosh, there's, you know, another, you know, Death Star, the Emperor's back again and again, right? At some point, you have to do something new. You have to do something different. Um, And I think you can have both, right? You can have the traditional Star Wars and you can have these new experimental things. And Clone Wars did a really good job of experimenting with different genres and different styles over the years. But I think Andor is the first live action series to take a genre, a different type of genre and stick with it the entire time. And it ultimately felt very refreshing and very, you know, and I wouldn't say better than traditional Star Wars, but it was a phenomenal series within the broader Star Wars galaxy. Yeah, you know, we I feel like we've talked about especially on Disney Plus, Star Wars needing to kind of evolve past what we've had before. And this was just the perfect example of what that looks like. You know, um, even shows like, you know, Mandalorian, Book of Boba Fett all lean very heavily on nostalgia. Um, and even Mandalorian, which I would argue is trying to do its own thing, still has, you know, our Luke Skywalker episodes, our, you know, Grogu in the Force episodes, Ahsoka, um, all of which are fantastic. And I'm not complaining about them. Um, but if you want to talk about like what the future of Star Wars needs to look like, I think this is it. Yeah. Um, not necessarily, I don't want to, uh, you know, a million casting Andors. I hope that's not the lesson they take away from this. But, <laughs> you know, there's no galactic spanning, you know, evil or event in this. Um, we're not talking about the freeing of entire worlds or, you know, trying to line up uh, broader, um, like, you know, the hunt for Grand Admiral Thrawn, or, for example, to pick like a Mandalorian mm-hmm. season two thing. Um, it's just a tight story about Cassian becoming a rebel. And right. yes, it, you know, the goal is that it leads into what we're going to see later, but that's okay. You know, it just, it works so well. Right. And they need to be able to deal with other types of genres as well. Right. And I, so I think when we, when we say yep. this is the bl- blueprint, it's not do this exact thing. It's this, you, they need to have the confidence to go into other eras and other genres and just tell a really good story, whatever it happens to be. And they don't have to follow the Star Wars blueprint exactly as it's come before. That said, well, I, I do love me some Star Wars, you know, traditionally, you know, the blueprint, the, the the callbacks and all that kind of stuff. And that there's a place for that. There's just a balance, I think. And, and I think that would be the thing that would hurt the property is if they constantly keep going back to the well and keep bringing up the same thing over and over and over again because people are going to get tired of it. When it comes to this show, you took basically an aspect of the Empire and you explored it and you had really good intrigue and really good writing and really good characters. And that fills out the universe more and that brings in more people because they're not just going to be like, oh, this is a typical Star Wars show. No, this really isn't. It's set within the Star Wars universe, but it's a different kind of storytelling with different characters that you can actually grab onto. You don't have to know the whole universe, but what this is doing is it's building the universe for you to where if you want to go explore more, you've got this as a base to go to. And then when you go out further, you're like, oh, now I see where this fits in within the universe. I think it worked very well. Exactly. It it doesn't feel different just for different state sake. And it's like, oh, this is this doesn't this isn't Star Wars, right? It doesn't fit into the galaxy. It still very much fits into the galaxy, even though it's a completely different feel. And I think that's what they they struck that balance perfectly. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and Tom, I think you brought up the writing. The the writing in this show and the acting was just phenomenal and even the 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 visuals both the like the the practical effects the set design it may be the best looking star wars live action show we've seen thus far i think you know some of the other shows like the mandalorian struck amazing new ground with technology around like the volume um that's incredible and you need that kind of technology and in the mandalorian i think they refined it even more and they said just similar how the prequels right pioneered um uh, uh, digital effects and then in like the sequel trilogy they said okay well let's do let's still bring in the digital effects but let's also do more practical again uh, and the prequels did a lot of practical as well to be clear but they they they've tried to 
use even more practical sets in the sequel trilogy alongside these digital effects. I would say Andor kind of similarly took the technology of the volume and said, okay, the volume is great for very specific great uh, situations or even for just putting like a screen outside of a window uh, so that they can make it look more real on the actors. But then you still build these incredible sets um, as well. And they, they, they kind of struck that balance just perfectly where it looks real. And then you combine that with just incredible writing and acting. And it, the show just feels, it, it feels very prestige. Absolutely. So do we want to talk about uh, Cassian's journey throughout this? Because I find it fascinating how, and I appreciated where we got his backstory of where he actually came from. And then how you saw his character evolve from that planet where he first saw him on with, with his, can we consider that a tribe he was with? Cause we never really got an explanation of where that civilization he was in, how they got oh. there. For that matter, we never wrapped up the story around his sister either. Mm-hmm. Right, which I I have a feeling that's probably going to play something in the season two. I it, wouldn't be surprised. It, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. But I, yeah. again, this is one of those things like I, Cassian starts Rogue One as kind of the hard-bitten spy. Um, and the movie is about him softening to some degree, remembering what he's fighting for. Uh, and I kind of appreciate that this is the background on, this is how... Cast and become as a hard-bitten spy. Even at the beginning of the, mo- uh, the movie, the show, I'd say he he's already uh, rebel sympathetic, but he's very focused on himself. Um, he doesn't love the Empire. He's not here to you know make any friends. He has no problem killing the Empire, but it's all very self-focused. And through the experience of you know having to flee Ferrix, going through the heist, uh, learning from Nemec and his manifesto. Um, going through the prison, having Marva die um, while he's there, it turns him into, you know, as, as Marva says, the unstoppable force for good. Um, and it's, you know, Diego Luna does an amazing job of showing that transformation throughout each episode and throughout each arc. Um, and yeah, he just comes out the other side and he is ready to go. Mm-hmm. I think for me, his turning point was when he actually saw Luthen on Ferrix. And he came to the realization that Luthen was only there at that point. Through all the stuff that Cassian went through, Luthen was there to definitely make sure he was dead. He was not going to survive on Ferrix. He was going to take him out. And I think that was a point in which it was like the character just like, you know what? What do I have to lose? You know, I either I, I, I basically do one of two things. I sacrifice myself to this guy because he wants me dead because I know too much. Or I offer my services to him at this point. And I thought that was brilliant on how he did it. Mm. Yeah, and I just, I think there were, there are many moments. Uh, the thing I, one thing I really appreciate about this, this series is that it wasn't simplistic, right? There were many moments where you saw Cassian slowly change into the rebel he eventually becomes. You know, that we see, of course, the moments where he's, you know, a, a child back when he was, you know, known as uh, Casa, right? And uh, and how their, you know, their this strange ship approaches, and they a lot of people uh, die during this investigation. He's all on his own. Uh, a lot of his, you know, uh, other friends uh, died, and then he's taken in by these two former separatists and, and, you know, Marva and Clem and how that shapes him and how they're still very much anti-Republic. And over time, even though we know the Republic is mostly good, right? It becomes the empire. And over time, as he grows up, you know, he, he, he still holds this hatred of the empire, um, especially once they become more and more, you know, once they start becoming more and more evil, he then goes on this heist where he starts to see and initially he's like, he's just stealing from the empire and we, and he, he already has this hatred of them inside and he's like, okay, sure. Whatever. I'll, I'll be a mercenary. I'll go steal from the empire in this bigger heist. And this heist ends up inspiring his mother. And he, he sees more of the atrocities of the empire and, and starts to learn from like people like Nemec within his manifesto but then things really take a turn when he gets unjustly thrown in jail 
and his, you know, his mom won't come with him. He goes off on his own. He gets thrown in jail and he sees more of the atrocities of the empire firsthand and how they're lying and how they're increasing the sentences for no reason. And, you know, that I think is that is that first bigger turning point. And then when his, he escapes and his mother dies and he gets that eulogy from his mother and also the message that Brasso passes along. And I think that is that turning point when he becomes Cassian. And then, you know, he sees, you know, uh, Luthen there, as you mentioned, Tom as well. And it's, uh, it, it wasn't one single thing. It was a, a number of things that all formed Cassian throughout this first season. Yeah, so we got well to done. see the evolution. Mm-hmm. Got to see the evolution of him to turn into that that hero of the rebellion. Yeah, and sometimes you know, I think sometimes Star Wars is criticized, especially the the films, right, for for rushing things because you you only have so much time in a in a movie, and we really got to breathe and see his character evolve throughout these twelve episodes. And I think that's the one thing that really helped this show is when they first premiered it, they showed the first three episodes. Because you needed that third episode to really kick the first two into gear. And once it got going, the, the, the show had a great pace to it all the way through. So I, I, I think for a 12-episode series, it hit beginning, middle, end perfectly. It didn't need to go further than that. That was it. Now for the second season. I don't know that I'd quite agree with that necessarily. I I think really? uh, I mean of the twelve episodes, there is okay. um the second Aldani arc episode and like the second or third prison episode I thought dragged a little bit. Um and the second episode in general in the series. Um like I, I generally felt like the sec there were probably three episodes throughout the season that I felt were a little bit weak, a little bit filler. Um they often move the story forward a little bit on the slow side. It felt like they had maybe, you know, 20 minutes of story they need to tell in between these two big episodes. But I'm also, I would say, okay with that. Like that, that is part and parcel of any TV show. Like it's hard to have every episode, um, you know, be the big headliner episode where big things happen and you break out of the prison and steal the money because the stuff requires stuff. And I get that. And budget is also a thing as well. Yeah. Uh, I I think my biggest thing for the entire season is every one of these episodes, you know, yeah, they were maybe a little on the slow side, but they earned every finale that like of the arc, Mm -hmm. like all agree. the prison break, um, Marva's funeral, all these episodes, you know, they, uh, I guess the end of the third episode of on Ferrix as well. I don't remember what that one was called off the top of my head. Um, you know, they, these were, I would argue, weaker episodes, and they are made stronger or made okay because they nailed the landing. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I am okay with, you know, uh, a forty-minute, like, yeah, this was like a, you know, a six and a half, seven, a, seven episode, in exchange for getting a ten out of ten on the next one, and and were delivered that multiple times throughout the season, which is exactly what you want, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know the, you you bring up a great point, Stephen, and. It, I almost kind of give the analogy of like if you took a movie and you chopped off the, you chopped it into three pieces and you just released the second piece by itself, you'd probably kind of feel very similar. Right. And Mm -hmm. and I, I, it's this show, they really did approach it like effectively four movies. Um, you know, I guess technically there were, I think five arcs, right? There was the Ferrix trilogy. There was the Aldani trilogy, there was what I like to call like an interlude episode called, you know, the announcement episode. There was a Narkina five trilogy. And then there was a final two episodes with, you know, Marva at the end, her, her whole funeral. And so like, you know, three trilogies, a duology and a single standalone episode. And it's basically like for effectively movies. And you kind of have to have the slower, like if you're going to tell a great story and, and have the right, you know, you, you want, you want to, let things breathe and not rush things too much, right? The those second episodes were critical from that in that regard. They may not have been the most riveting if you are watching week by week, but when you watch all in a row, it totally pays off. And and as you said, it, those the third episode of each trilogy just was outstanding and perfectly tied everything together. And so, and- yeah. I, it's it's justified even though yeah there were there was 
in isolation some weaker episodes. Yeah, and that, that's the one. And that's one thing I really enjoyed about the show is it. It paid everything off. They're really other than the sister, other than setting the plots going forward. There is a payoff at the end of, let's say, every third episode that moved everything forward. Yeah. And the writing and, and the acting is just impeccable. Just I, sure. I, I can't well, say and, that. I cannot say that enough. And the writing, I think, in the acting is part of what makes those second episodes still just a, so riveting because the the show is is so well written that you can have these just there's there's a ton of exposition in this show a ton but it every time you listen to the you you watch a scene that's just exposition and two characters talking it's just so entertaining it, i i would say it's not even some of the best writing of it, just a star wars series it's probably some of the best writing on any tv in general just how mm-hmm. how they could take what should be a boring scene and just make it so compelling to and, watch and i can point to the episodes with cyril and his mother those in the kitchen just you know you talk to your uncle i don't want to talk to my uncle well your uncle's a big guy your, your uncle's a big shot here your uncle's going to be able to get you a job i don't want to talk to my uncle but it's the back and forth and it's the little jabbing that she throws every once in a while and and him just straight face throughout a lot of it. You can see the frustration, but just listen to the dialogue that's going on between those two mm-hmm. when they're together. And even when it's on the phone, when his friend calls up and says, Hey, this is happening over here. And she makes that crack in the background. I can't remember what it is or something like, Oh, another loser or something like that. It's like stuff like that within the star Wars universe. I mean, I know sometimes we've gotten, yeah, there's been corny lines. Yeah, there's been corny acting. But stuff like this in the Star Wars universe to just bring a regular audience in is just amazing when they get down to it and just break down scenes like that and watch something like that. That was intriguing just to watch, even though there really wasn't much going on by way of acting. They're just sitting there talking just to listen to the stuff going back and forth and the banter. Incredible. Yeah, it really was. It really, yeah, it's just incredible writing. So you mentioned you mentioned uh, Cyril. I, let's go through and talk about some of the big characters we were introduced to. And since you just mentioned Cyril, Cyril, let's start with him. What did you think of Cyril Karn? He's one of the, actually the first characters we were introduced to in the mm-hmm. show as well. I, you, you first start feeling bad for him because here's a guy who saw something happen on a planet and he's like, okay, I'm going to investigate this. I want to take this area here. I want a table over there. I want to look over here. I want to look over there. But his supervisor's like, you know what? Slow down a little bit. It really is not as big as you think, because basically if you look at this guy here, this guy, well, maybe he had it coming. Maybe it's not what you think it is, but Cyril stood to his guns the whole time throughout this, this whole season that he wanted to figure out and solve this mystery. And then when he gets his opportunity and he goes to get Cassian, it completely, and as a figuratively, it completely blows up in his face. So much so he loses his job. And then he's got to go live with his mom. And that still is one of the scenes in what in Star Wars you never thought you would see is basically a walk of shame to the guy to go to his mom's apartment and just stand there at the door and get slapped by his mother first and then hugged. I mean, from that point forward, at a low point of his life, you see him still stick to his guns and slowly dig himself out of where he was to now, we don't know what's going to happen at the end, but you know something's changed at the end of the series when he's standing there face-to-face with Deirdre. So... Steven, what did you think of Cyril as a character in the show? You know, it's interesting. Like, in in some ways, I think he was one of the weaker characters, I think, of the show. Um, he, there are okay. a couple of characters that I, I kind of feel this way. Like, I, I'd actually say in some ways Mon Mothma was 
Uh, maybe not actually to the same degree, but I think Cyril lacked purpose for a lot of the middle of the season. It was that I'll agree to, with. It was fun to check in with him, see how his adventures with his mother is going, see his obsession with Cassian. Um, he just lacked a little bit of purpose, I think. Um, and it, you know, it, he did feel like he took up a lot of screen time, so it's not exactly a, a, a poor choice by any means. Um, I think he just lacked a little bit to give him that oomph of uh, a full arc on his own. Um, and Mon Mothra was close to this for me, uh, but I think it ended up delivering in the final episode in a really big way. But, you know, Mon Mothra's story throughout this season is similar. She's mostly in the background. Um, she's got a, a loose thread around financing the rebellion that flows through her relationship with Luthen that kind of flows through. But she also kind of, I found, drops off a little bit in the middle, especially when uh, some of the stuff with her daughter and things are just like, well, like, why? We had one Mon Mothma scene this episode. Was that really useful? In her case, I think it paid off in the end with that amazing final sequence with her husband in the car where she accuses him of gambling. Like, just truly underscoring her commitment to the rebellion and where she's going next. I, I... I thought Mon Mothma's scenes were some of the best, most well-written of the bunch. I I just loved every every one of her scenes. She's you know Genevieve O'Reilly, of course, reprising her role from um, the prequels and from Rogue One, and even uh, you know uh, like Rebels. Uh, she did. I loved getting to see not just the senator, the leader we know, but the what it was like at home for Mon Mothma or what she dealt with personally. And sure, there were definitely moments where she maybe had less going on uh, or because in many ways, I feel like the show almost tr- tells the story in real time, right? It, it gives, if when Mon Mothma is trying to figure out what to do with the money, she can't figure out an answer right away and have it resolved in one episode necessarily. Sometimes it takes a couple episodes and you have to wait for, you know, Davos Golden to leave or to, to come and meet and then leave and then bring his son back and it takes a couple episodes. And so in, in, it was kind of almost like you were watching the show in, in real time. And then it meant that sometimes there wasn't as much progress. And sure. There were a couple scenes, I think later in the season that started to feel a little bit like there were, treading the same ground again but overall i i just was i found her dynamic so compelling and how she has to deal with these even these threats at home right she's got uh her husband she's got her daughter they know nothing about what she's up to and she doesn't trust them um and she has to put them both in uh, potentially bad situations so that the rebellion can survive. And I thought it was just so great. I loved it. I think for me, whenever she was on screen, the majority of the time she was almost like a scene stealer mm-hmm. because it seemed like maybe Steven, you were right that, that she could have been a little bit more, but whenever she was on screen, there was something important going on that had to lead to where we saw in the last episode. So it really wasn't like, you could say some of the stuff with Cyril. Yeah, the the banter between his mom in the breakfast area was kind of like, you know, filler stuff to see what's going on. And basically she was trying, she's frustrating him like crazy. You could see all that. But it seemed like whenever the Mamathma scenes were on there, there was a purpose, even though it was like maybe one quick scene, there was a purpose that was leading to that beautiful scene we got in the last episode with her and her husband, and then the second scene with her and her daughter. Yeah, it, and I, I think what also made the scene so good, we, I mentioned the writing, but the it was a lot of doublespeak, right? Or or subtext. There was a lot of things that were not, there were, they, she was saying a lot without saying very much. Uh, and that I think really speaks to the writing and how she would be talking about one thing, but really referring to something else. And it's, it's so good. It it's just so compelling. We also had Luthen Rail, a new character played by Stellan Skarsgård, uh, and he gives us a little bit of a different perspective on the rebellion. I loved the introduction of his character and how he plays in the the gray area. What did you think, Stephen? 
Luthan might have been one of the standout characters in the show. Um, he starts in the first episode. Or I guess he's not in the first episode technically, but like every moment he's on screen, he's stealing the show. Just the watching, you know, Stellan Skarsgård go back and forth between, um, you know, the uh, like, you know, the little fabulous, uh, you know, museum curator, art collector to hard bitten rebel. Like, no, I will let all 30 men die in order to see my vision realized. It's stunning every time he does it. And they just do such an amazing job the entire time. Like, he, I don't know, like hand. I just, I don't know what else to say. He does an amazing job in every sequence he's in. He steals it. He shows this darker side of the rebellion that we know Cassian will be absorbed by over time. Like, just A, A plus, Stellan Starsguard. Like, prob- in my opinion, probably the breakout character of the entire show. At least the original character, let's say. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing that helped that was a lot of the dialogue they gave him, especially when he sat here and he was talking to his mall, Lonnie. Um, and then the banter back and forth between he and Saw Gerrera. Mm-hmm. There, there's a lot of that that just listen to the lines and watch the acting. And you're just enthralled, one, by Stalin Garz being such an actor that he is, but by the character and by his drive. I mean, I just, mm-hmm. he, I agree, Stephen. He is one of the breakout characters of this season. Oh, w- without a doubt. And I, I, I just really enjoyed getting to see different points of view and the different rebel factions, right? We, in Star Wars Rebels, we got to see the founding of one rebel cell and kind of how they meet up with other uh, rebel groups. But this is the first time we really got to dive deeper into the different perspectives for of the rebels. They're not, it's, it's not realistic that everyone in the galaxy would be upset for the exact same reasons and want to form one cohesive rebellion with the same vision and the same goal. And this show shows us how, you know, of course there was Mon Mothma who's trying to fight from, you know, within the the political system. And she's trying to see if she can use the existing structures in place to get the galaxy back on the right track. And of course, when that fails, then she takes other action, but she's, she's not there yet. Meanwhile, we have Luthen Rail, who's, who's been hiding, uh, for, you know, what a decade and a half, right. Working toward, he knows that something has to be done. He's been putting in place a spy network, but for the first time he's starting to take bolder moves and has to come out of the shadows and how he deals with that, right. Where he's, it's growing bigger. It's growing out of his control either even you know and he's one of the he's one of the founding members of the rebellion that we've never known about before and then of course we have these other factions whether it's Sagar Rera or um you know the the numerous other factions that saw mentions uh, and you know about and there's like Anton Krieger who we never actually really see but we hear about there's a lot of different perspectives and a lot of different reasons people are fighting and they're all kind of doing their own thing right now but eventually they will meet up. And I just thought that was really cool to see. And and yes, Luthen Rail is fantastic and steals every scene he's in. When you have both Luthen mm-hmm. and Mon Mothman in a room. Oh man, great. Yeah. <laughs> so good. So good. Another character I really enjoyed was um Deirdre Miro. Mm-hmm. She was one to follow because that when you first saw her come on screen, you're just like, okay, a female in a male world. With all these other supervisors, she's the only one. And she is like, look, you know, I have been tracking these stolen parts from shipyard to shipyard to shipyard. They don't, they appear to be random, but when you really look at them, they don't appear to be random. And when she tries to bring that up, she kind of gets like smacked down by one of the other supervisors because he won't release information that he knows because it's kind of crossing into her, his sector. But when she goes to her supervisor and brings it up, the supervisor backs her. And then to watch her go from that point of basically a starting point and keep going and going and going to try and drill down to find out what's going on. Just, just that was a great character arc to watch as well. Yeah. She's, she's fantastic. I, I, 
it, this is where I get in the cast is so good because I feel like every every time we turn to a new character, it's like, oh my gosh, great character, right? <laughs> um, Deidre Miro, uh, played play by Denise Go, was also just so good. And how she was the only ISB officer to really see what's going on. And, and I loved seeing the inner workings of the Imperial Security Bureau. We've heard about them before, but we've never seen them on screen. And seeing how there's, you know, they're, there's infighting. They're a little bit prideful, right? They think these rebels are too stupid, right? They they think they they know what they're doing and can catch anything and they can divide up the work by sector and no works, no, no, no rebel activities gonna cross sector lines, right? There's all this stuff and Deidre is the only one who sees it and goes after, uh, well, only one except for Cyril, of course, but it goes after uh, Axis and the, these rebels and she's she's just so great in her, her struggle against Blevin, the other supervisor. And eventually she does she she you know she kind of prevails in this in this season against Blevin. He kind of becomes less of a threat as she is proven right. But it's just it's all just so well written and acted. Mm-hmm. And that's another, another fasc- standout character. Yeah, it, and that's going to be fascinating going into next season. How uh, Deirdre and Blevin play off of each other because you know that's going to circle back at some point. Yeah. It's one of those things where you just don't let go. Steven, what what did you think of the ISP? Uh, I mean, especially as a fan <laughs> of, you know, the original X-Wing series, which deals with the ISP. Well, I mean, I guess through Izard, at least a little bit. Uh, just a huge fan. I, I think the thing I most appreciated is nowhere at any point in this show is the Empire portrayed as stupid, you know, unable to operate effectively. Um Every person, every Imperial character we see, they're smart, they're capable, they just don't have the whole picture to look at. And I just, I love that portrayal of the Empire. You know, this is the Empire that, Empire that is terrifying, not the stormtroopers that, you know, lose to a bunch of Ewoks or can't hit the broadside of a barn. Um, no, this is the Empire to be terrified of. And it makes Cassian's journey and Luthen's journey and Mon Mothman's journey all the more harrowing because... You know it's not going to be easy for them. It's not trivial for them to do what they're doing. Uh, you know, there's there's a chance they're going to be caught and executed. And you, I mean, not really, because we know at least at least for Mon Mothma and, and uh, Cassian that that's not going to happen. But the Empire's a threat here, and it I think it's what one of the things that elevates the show to a whole different degree. And I completely agree with that aspect too, because you. You take a look at the the amount of threat. Go back to the prison the, the prison scene. Dora's like, these guys are sitting here thinking, I'm going to work, I'm going to get my time off, and then I'm going to go home. Not realizing that they're never going to go home. They're constantly going to be staying in prison, even if their time is up. And if there is a mistake, well, if one mistake is made because one guy came back, which he should not have, that whole section's wiped off. So it's giving the Empire a bigger stake and and makes you really fear the empire. And that's the thing about the ISB. It seemed like the, the fear is there in the ISB because also realize after, um, after the Aldani raid, it was the supervisor who sat there and said, bring me all the stuff that you can do in so many words to clamp down on everything, you know, clamp down on what I don't, I don't care. I want to start hitting. I want to start taking out targets, do this, do that, because we have to show some strength. We can't let this Aldani thing just go by the wayside. So bring me everything you have. So it's showing right there that the Empire, they're no fools. They're not going to take things, but they're arrogant because even Cassian said, and even on uh, Aldani, when they were going into getting ready for the raid, you saw those two supervisors basically sitting there sipping on their cups of coffee because they're fat, they're they're not lazy, but they're not paying attention because they think they're above everything and they've got everything covered. So that's what I liked about the series as well. When it comes to the, the ISB is basically a threat and it makes the empire scary. Yeah, yeah totally. Absolutely. So another thing, uh, sorry, go ahead. Go, go. Okay, one of the other things I really appreciate, especially because I was so wrong about it at the very beginning of the season, um, 
just how impressive of a planet Ferrix was throughout the entire show. Um, if you'll like remember back to, I think it was our third episode review, I thought we weren't coming back to Ferrix at all. But Ferrix and all the characters, Bix, Marva, Brasso, uh, B2Emo, all play a role throughout the season, adding context, feeling alive, and then coming together in Marva's funeral to really hammer the point home. And it it's not something I think I expected necessarily. Like the closest to this might be like Lothal in seasons one and two of Rebels. But they just did such a great job here. Like more than almost any other Star Wars show I can honestly think of. Ferrix feels like a real place with real problems, real people. Uh, and it's what makes, I think, the finale hit so much harder because it's these people you've been following who, you know, there's the average Joes, people who work at the factory, who go to the mine every day, um, rise up against the Empire and, you know, beat them over the head with a funerary brick. And it just adds such a great backdrop to the entire show. Mm -hmm. And William, I think you mentioned in the last uh, show that when it came to the musicians, basically, when it came to that music they were playing, they were just playing, which also gave it a great atmosphere. And I think I also go back to the episode um, back at the beginning where they were sitting there when the um, Cyril and his troops came to basically come after you know Andor because they spotted him. And everybody sitting there banging on things and making all that noise. And you knew once the music stopped and it built up such great tension at that scene for those shows and in this scene, it was the same thing. It's just the atmosphere of the town and and you could understand and feel for everybody that's there. And I agree, you know, even a brick within the town can sit there and be a weapon because that was great to see it used on one of those Imperial guys. Yeah. But just, oh, outstanding. Oh yeah, I I really enjoyed, like you guys, the planet Ferrix really feels alive more so than most other planets we visited in Star Wars. Uh, you know, the the city was fully built out, uh, or at least many blocks of the city were actually constructed, and so I remember um, Adria Arjana was talking about this in or interview right at the beginning of the I think it was in the press conference or at the beginning of the series about how at one point, you know, she was told to just start running and, and through the city, you know, escaping some of the stormtroopers, escaping the empire. And she asked the, the directors, well, where, where do you want me to run? And they just said, anywhere, wherever you want, right? That's how much they built out this set that she could just run down any street and the camera could follow. Uh, and that that's really cool. And it shows just how much of a character, Ferrix the planet is, as well as the um, the citizens of Ferrix. You know, Bix is, is such a phenomenal character. She's she's really interesting. Um, I'm excited to see what happens with her. Of course, Marva is. Uh, yeah, I thought she was just going to be like the stereotypical you know mom character, and she was. She ends up playing a enormously pivotal role in this series. Uh, of course, B2 EMO is such a, a, an adorable droid, right? And you really feel the emotion and the and sadness for BMO at one point. At one point. And, and of course, Brasso, the lovable uh, f friend of Cassian, who is uh, who takes care of Marva and B B when when Cassian's gone. They're all just really wonderful characters that. Uh, that we get introduced to over the course of this season. I thought they were going to be throwaway characters at the beginning, and they all end up playing a huge, enormously important role. Yeah, Especially BMO. You, yeah, that, and you feel... Go ahead, Stephen. No, go ahead. Finish it out, Tom. Yeah, I was, I, you feel real sorry for BMO because I, I think there was, and we did talk about, you know, a, a parallel to, like, your dog. You know, I think, Stephen, you may have mentioned it in one of the shows that you've read it somewhere that you kind of... You, you you compare BMO to like, if your dog could talk to you, what would your dog be saying to you at this moment? And that's kind of how, when you go back and look at it, you feel that way for the, for a droid and it's a droid. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Exactly. Do you guys think we'll see BMO and the rest in season two? I think so. I think probably for the first three episodes, 
it depends on where it's going to land for the first three episodes because it, it is rumored or is known or whatever that the next episodes after that are going to jump years to get you closer to Rogue One. The, it, the next season will cover four years. So it'll okay. It'll so it will cover up, four years. Yeah. Okay. It'll probably right. pick up relatively. May not be that far after yeah. this. And, and I I, I'm excited point, to get to season two speculation in, in a few minutes as well. Yeah. But but um, I, I was going to say, I think at that point, that's probably, I would think that's the only time we're going to see these characters. Yeah. So that, that's my speculation. I mean, it's possible that they'll be recruited into the, uh, into the rebellion. I mean, they are like Bix was already, you know, working with Luce, with Luthen to a degree. Um, Brasso was helping fight against the empire um be as well as i maybe there's a world where they join the rebellion along with cassian i don't know but i do think we'll see them again what do you think steven uh, i think we will see them and i actually think you're right we may see them join the rebellion as well especially you know given we've got four years time for bix to recover um but you know they were there from our speech as well and i have to imagine they're fired up after what they saw happen to ferrix and I suspect we'll see Ferrix as well. Perhaps a return to Ferrix or a freeing of Ferrix or a massacre of Ferrix, you know. I, I don't think we're done with that planet just mm-hmm. yet. That I, I would not. agree with. Yeah, I, I, I think we're going to end up back at Ferrix at, Ferrix at some point. Yeah. And oh my gosh, there's there's so there's so many other things we could talk. I, we could talk for hours. I mean, there's, you know, we talked about Ferrix a lot. There's the Aldani trilogy and the heist and all the characters that were introduced there, most of whom, you know, died for the for the most part. I guess um, uh, Vel and um, Cinta did did survive that and and played a minor role throughout the rest of the uh, the season, popping in here and there. Uh, we had um, the prison trilogy with Kino Loy, another great character who. Uh, it sounds like has will survive based on comments uh, the Lucasfilm has made, but you know we didn't actually see him live. There's just so many great moments throughout this this series season, and that we could just talk about at length. But should we? Uh, should we? What do, what else do you guys think will happen in season two, though? I mean, I think we'll see K2SO appear. I mean, it's more yeah. or less already confirmed, but I wonder if we may see uh, something uh, solo-esque where perhaps BMO and K2SO are related in some way. Um, uh, it's, it's possible. Those or at least some interaction. Droids, they're all related. Exactly. Far apart from one, put them over here. Yeah, possible. You never know. Um. Well, yeah, they watch. They 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 take B Bemo's uh, memory banks and put it in K two S O, and that's why uh... he's loyal. <laughs> he's loyal. Who knows? <laughs> Lo- loyal to an extent. Oh, uh, um, no! I, I think the one thing is like this show has resisted fan service, and so I think they have to show K two S O because he is working with Cassian at the beginning of Rogue One, and so it's logical they would introduce that. But mm-hmm. they've thus far really tried to uh refrain from doing something just to please fans they would do they primarily do things in service of the story first and foremost which i appreciated you know and there's still some nice references but and i think that really really helped the show Mm. you know i like the thing within luthan's shop that i think is where you will probably say there's more of the fan service because the easter eggs that are in there but when you look around the show, there really wasn't much, and which I thought was outstanding because, like I said at the beginning, it still felt like you were in the Star Wars universe without all that stuff being thrown at you that you're in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. Yeah. What What else do you think might happen in season two, Tom? Do you have any theories? <sighs> uh, Saw Gerrera probably will be a little bit more prominent. Um. I don't know if we'll get more of an explanation of how he ends up the way he is uh, in Rogue One, because uh, I know we kind of have the idea from the Clone Wars how he gets that way. Um, Luthen, I think, is going to be the wild card. How far into the series he is still there? Um, you know, he's going to be the target of the ISB because during this season they are trying to find him. 
or really, is it him? Um, how Mon is going to get out of her predicament? I don't know. This is going to be fun to watch. All that is going to be fun to watch. Yeah, I, I think we'll see the the spy war escalate in the next season with Deidre and the rest of the ISB kind of yeah. pairing off against Luthen and Cassian. Yeah. Uh, more things like Aldani is, you know, rebel operations go off and so on. So yeah. I think that's what we'll see a lot of. Uh, I I hope we start to see more of like the rebel operations at this point, right? We kind of saw one with Aldani. It was close, not exactly, but, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a splinter splinter group from the rebels. Um, but I, I think we'll see a lot more like, okay, here's an official mission to go on with Cassian, et cetera. And I, I do think we'll see a lot more spying, a lot more tensions rising. I think Mon Mothma is going to have to deal with uh, the repercussions. We might see the Gorman massacre and how she calls out the empire because she's mentioned the Gorman so many times this season. I think we might see that, that pivotal moment from rebels where she, we talked about this a couple episodes ago where she, um, uh, calls out the empire for its atrocities. And, so I think that that will happen. I'm very curious to see what happens with Cyril and with Deidre. Um, I think more tensions at home with Mon Mothma also. I think, you know, does she do her husband and or daughter turn on her? Who knows? Well, that that's one thing I want to bring up right now. How much more can she throw her husband under the bus? I mean, what is she going to throw him under under no, next? I, I think A the Star Destroyer? Is, <laughs> yeah. Does does he start to get suspicious and out her? I think oh, that, that's actually question. that's actually a good, that's a good question. Because you could probably see Luthen get involved if that starts happening. Yeah. And then any going to be pretty. No. Oh, so many, so many exciting things that can happen. It's it's just so good. I if you guys were going to looking back on the entire season as a whole, all the highs. I think we've talked a lot about the, the highs we've talked about in this episode and the lows we've, we've mentioned those in our reviews and kind of just touched on it here as well. You know, it's not perfect, but it's been such a good first season. What would you guys rate this, this season overall? How would you, you know, looking back, how would you rate season one of star Wars Andor? I'll you go first. first, William. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, you know what, William? You go oh, first. Oh, gosh. Okay. Go ahead. You know, I, I feel like I've kind of summarized my my thoughts on this before, but, like, at the end of the day, this show felt u- unique and fresh, and um, and I, I really enjoyed it. You know, the it it's a different kind of star Wars, but it still feels like star Wars. It feels like a show set in that universe, but more grounded in it. There's less, it's, it's just people, average people on the ground, um, fighting back against this, you know, evil galactic empire. And the, I, I really enjoyed seeing Cassian's journey and I really enjoyed seeing Mon Mothma and all getting to know all these new characters, um, throughout that I think have just become so compelling. And I, for one, am very excited to see where they, where they take it in season two. I think we know we'll see Yavin four. I'm, I mean, we know how this ends, but this series has just been such a, an entertaining ride already. I think overall, man, I, I have to, I'm curious to see what my average was over the season, but I feel like the show got off into a bit of a slow start. But if you watch it all at once, I, I feel like it's like a nine out of ten. You know, it's just so good. Um, so yeah, I'll give it, I'll give it nine Womp Rats out of ten. Really, just incredible storytelling, and um, just just a lot of fun. If you if you haven't seen Andor, and at this point. Why have you listened to an hour of us talking in full spoilers about the show if you haven't seen it? But go watch Andor. Tell your friends to watch Andor because Disney needs to see more. Um, they need to see that people are enjoying different kinds of shows too. 
So my my nine Womp Rats. Um, oh, that's... My nine Womp Rats are... Uh, they're going to help Mon Mothma hide the money. The 400,000. Well, I mean, actually, it's it's really because... Mon Mothma, she thought she she claimed her husband was gambling, but really all he was doing is buying Womp Rats, nine of them to be specific for a, the tune of four hundred thousand Republic credits. They're very expensive Womp Rats. <laughs> Not for Mantha, are you going to say the nine Womp Rats are driving the bus that hit him? No, 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 no. Okay. And and fun fact, actually, if you look at my average, it says eight point six five throughout the season. So I feel like nine is pretty justified. <laughs> <laughs> I just checked. I just looked it up. Okay. Oh, well, Tom, I, I'm I'm gonna go next. I'm I'm giving the season as an overall. Ah, I'm gonna join. I I was gonna say one, but I think I'm gonna join you. I'm gonna go for a nine as well. I I enjoyed it. I think the best thing about this show, it's set. Within the Star Wars universe, it is canon within the Star Wars universe. You know it's in the Star Wars universe, but the best thing about it is it's not in your face fan service show. I really appreciated that. Loved a little bit of the Easter eggs, but it still felt like a Star Wars show. And it was so well done. So I'm giving them nine Womp Rats. My non Womp Rats are going to spend the next few months rewatching the series over and over and over and over and over again because they have to wait until Andor premieres again later later or the year after or whenever they decide to premiere it so they're going to be sitting there waiting in anticipation in front of the tv set re-watching Andor to hopefully get the streaming numbers up but <laughs> they don't know it doesn't work that way so steven yeah i guess that leaves me um interestingly i think i'm going to be on the high side of our group for once, which is an unusual place for me to be. Mm. Um, I think I'm going to give it a nine and a half. I suspect, and William, you, if you have the numbers up, I suspect that it's higher than my uh, averages. It was. Or, it was. 8.3. Okay. But we, we don't okay, do so, it strictly based on averages. We do it, oh, I know, you it's, know. It's, yeah. And in this case, yeah. what it really comes down to to me is Andor has a couple of weak episodes. We talked about those a little, or I talked about them a little bit earlier. Overall, the best written Star Wars show we have had, I think, ever. Um, and I just, I can't praise that highly enough. Like, any show will have a dud or, you know, you w or you wish something else had happened or whatever it might be. Um, but Andrew was just fantastic. Through and through, no complaints, no notes, just... They deserve the credit, you know? Like, Tony Gilroy and the rest of the team put together the best Star Wars show I think we've ever gotten. And th this should be the blueprint for Star Wars shows going forward. Focus on writing and, and like amazing story, character work. They just did an amazing job. And I, mm -hmm. you know, I, what else, I don't know what else there is to say. Uh, they, I, good job, thumbs up, please do more. <laughs> we'll watch again, you know, like it really was just that good. So I'll give it a nine and a half. Um, and I think my Womp Rats are just going to all be hanging out on Luthan's ship. They're they're making the AI work. They're turning the lasers that shoot out of the sides. You know, normal Womp Rat ship things. Um, cheap labor. Yeah, it'll be it. <laughs> Love it. But before we go, when do you guys think season two will premiere? Any Any thoughts? Optimistically, I would like to see it next, around the same time next year. Uh, realistically, I think we may see it early 2024. I, I kind of agree with Steven. I would love to see it late next year, but I get a feeling it's probably going to be sometime in 24. Yeah. I yeah. I mean, they, we know they've already started filming. Uh, they just started filming in November. I, as much as I want it to be next year, it's probably going to be the one, one of those year and a half, two year out type of things. Yeah. Oh, but it's so good. It's mm -hmm. so good. Cannot wait. Yeah. Well, while this might be it for Andor for at least the next year or so, we have a lot more Star Wars coming up. Um, we're going to take a break for uh, Christmas, the rest of the holidays. Um, 
but we'll be back in the new year with our review of The Bad Batch Season 2, which kicks off on January 4th. Um, so super excited about that. Also, we won't be recording an, our, ep- our review. So we won't have an episode next week. There are rumors that this Thursday at the Game Awards, um, Star Wars uh, Jedi Survivor, the sequel to Jedi Fallen Order, uh, will get an official gameplay. Sorry, they guaranteed will be getting an official gameplay reveal but we might even be getting a release date of March 15th if rumors are be to be, are to be believed. So that's exciting. Um, but we'll be back here after the new year with our review of The Bad Batch. Uh, we're so close to some more Star Wars animation. So I don't know about you guys. I can't wait. I've been looking forward to this. Awesome. Well... To uh, all of you, um, Merry Christmas, Happy Life Day. (laughs) Enjoy the holidays. Have Uh, a good New Year. Yes, and we'll be back in January uh, with our review of The Bad Batch Season 2, Episode 1. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast, your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. For over a decade, Ion Cannon has covered every corner of the saga, from the films and animated series like The Clone Wars and Rebels, to books, comics, games, and more. If you like what you hear, please rate us in your favorite podcast client. Your review will help this show grow within the Star Wars community. We can be found at our website, IonCannonCast.com, and you can follow us through Facebook and Twitter. To email us, you can do so at contact at IonCannonCast.com. The Ion Cannon Podcast is not associated with Lucasfilm, The Walt Disney Company, or any and all of their respective trademarks or copyright holders. Any opinion expressed on the show are that of the hosts. This podcast is a production by fans, for fans, and is copyright 2018.